How's it going, everyone? Ryan Shrimp here with ToplessRobot.com. Just thanking you for listening to this podcast, and I wanted to let you know that we're building a podcast network. We currently have three podcasts, Animated Opinions, Cosmic Love, and Topless Robot Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please check out our other podcasts. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, it would mean a lot to us if you look us up on iTunes and leave a review. That way, other people can find our podcasts or share it with your best friend. Nothing's better than sharing podcasts that are awesome with people who are awesome. So, thanks for listening, and here's the episode. ToplessRobot.com presents... You're listening to Animated Opinions, the only podcast hosted entirely by digital entities. I'm a computer simulation... I am also a computer simulation. And today we are here to talk about the movie that replaced traditional actors and led to the rise of computer-generated entertainment, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. I wouldn't say that it, you know, I don't, mocap. How much of this was mocapped? Oh, how much of it was mocapped? I don't know. I, you know, I really feel like all 1,327 scenes were mo-capped. Really? Because it wasn't as aggressive as, like, a Zemeckis film. No, it's because they had a lot of, like, R&D people working on this that made it look better. So, all of the hand and facial movements were done manually, and there was so much cleanup involved. So, it looks less mo-cappy than a Zemeckis film, but it still, to me, looks super mo-cappy. This is why we have you here. Uh, we have an actually differing opinion on this film for once. I think for a 2001 entirely CG film, it looks pretty, pretty good. You know, 137 million goes a long way, but it's a good-looking film for 2001. I mean, for 2001, it was fine, but at the same time... It's just, it did, It hasn't, to me, it has not aged well, or as well as other things have. What from 2001 has aged better than this? I'm double checking my date here. Uh, I will say... I will take a similar year. If you say 2003 or 2005, I'm not going to split hairs over that. Uh, Monsters, Inc. Oh, that's fair. Shrek. Yeah, Shrek. okay. Shrek is aged pretty well. Um, those are the two 3D films that come to mind. I respect that opinion. I would argue some points on Shrek, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for the day we watch Shrek. Mon no, Monsters, Inc. definitely aged better than Shrek did. Oh, yeah, but 100%. I feel, I feel that Shrek and Monsters, Inc. both aged slightly better than Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Monsters, Inc. definitely uh, did. I respect that opinion. Okay. Who's the award winner, though? Fuck you, it's Shrek. Yeah, great. Thanks, Shrek. I'm glad that you made infinite money and won awards versus probably the nicest Pixar film. The one that is the best. Somebody once told me the world <laughs> is gonna roll me. But we're not talking about Shrek. 
No, we are talking about Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, which I chose because I didn't want to put Emily through Final Fantasy Advent Children, which requires previous knowledge of Final Fantasy games and also is a very edgy anime film. I kind of regret choosing this one just because it isn't as batshit what the fuck as Advent Children turns out to be, though it has its moments. Uh, at any rate, video games, Final Fantasy, great series, really only has a couple of clunkers out of a 20-ish game lineage. There's only a few that I would say, don't play that, it really isn't going to jive with you. This man... Oh, a genre and a half, I guess. They're all RPGs. One of them's an MMO. You get the point. And then there's a bunch of spin-off games, too, which you should probably just ignore on the whole, unless they're on the Game Boy Advance. But it's a great role-playing game series, and this movie has, like, next to nothing to do with literally anything you ever do in a Final Fantasy game. It's amazing how none of this... There's nothing that happens that would happen in a Final Fantasy game. Um, the things that are really similar are the designs of the metropolitan areas of the technology that they use in terms of outfits and guns and armor and things that are reflected later on in Final Fantasies 10, 13, and 15, which is weird. I know it's only the odd numbers, but uh, 12 kind of diverted from the look and feel of previously established Final Fantasies because they moved the setting to somewhere really interesting. Uh, and 15, 14 is an MMO that's very traditional high fantasy. So you see a lot of future Final Fantasy design decisions present in this film in a way that isn't exactly how you'd expect them to be. Otherwise, this is little to no bearing on the entire Final Fantasy lineage other than being, oh yeah, they made a movie and they spent a shitload of money on it and Steve Buscemi was in it. Okay, moving on. So you said all of those words... And I processed them, but they mean absolutely fuck all to me. Because, as you said, I am unaware of... I've never played a Final Fantasy game. I knew that Advent Children existed, I think. And honestly, I would have preferred you to give me, like, the real quick summation... Oops. The real quick summation of all the Final Fantasy games and then had me watch Advent Children. Because I think I would have been less confused because of these no no advent children would require like an hour-long lecture on final fantasy 7 for you to even comprehend most of it and then i would have to be like oh also they changed this from the game to the movie for reasons also this character backslid from the game to the movie for reasons also this guy is one guy but he's really a clone of another guy it's a whole thing he thinks he's this guy but he's not and then he finds that out but he doesn't in this movie it's fine it would be there would be so much more explanation about the characters alone Okay. I promise you I made a good decision. Let's, let's kind of get into the production of The Spirits Within a little bit before we talk about the plot of the movie and everything to do with the plot of this movie. The creative directing team, we had... Oh, God, names. We had Motonori Sakakibara. Sakakibara, Yeah. Uh, as the director of photography, the animation director was Andy Jones, and the <laughs> and the conceptual director was <laughs> Connie Kunitake. And this film, you would kind of expect it to be based out of Tokyo or based out of 
Los Angeles in the Hollywood area. But that assumption is incorrect. The production was based in Honolulu to maximize on the central location in the Pacific. And I guess that makes sense when half of your team is generally American and the other half of your team is generally Japanese. So they occupied a couple floors of Harbor Court in downtown Honolulu, and apparently they had people from 22 different countries working on this film over the course of it. The, as we've mentioned, the motion capture uh, is extensive in this film, and it was done in uh, the Hawaii Film Studios production facility, and it's done with the setup that everybody's pretty familiar with. You've got your black skin-tight suit, and your 37 reflective markers, AKA the ping pong balls. And they had a 16 camera setup. So generally what this means is you've got this big studio space and you've got your 16 cameras interspersed throughout that studio space so that you get your lovely 3D world. It, it's an unpopulated 3D world. So the result that you get back in about 2001 and I, it's pretty much the same nowadays as well if you're working with older motion caption software or simplistic motion capture software. And what you get is this 3D space that you can kind of rotate yourself around and you get a stick figure. And that stick figure is matching the person's movement. And that is generally what you get back today, which is why there was so much cleanup that had to happen on this because it's, you know, new, new-ish in the world of mocap. Apparently, the original crew of animators that were hired to work on this film were not interested in using the mocap data and were just not about it. So uh, Sakaguchi fired them all, like the whole team, and he brought him this guy, Remington Scott. Remington Scott is a fascinating, fascinating person that if we were to talk about his contribution to the world of film technology, we would have to do another episode of podcast. He wrote some code or helped write some code that improved the look of the motion capture that they were getting back. And they hired on a brand new animation team that was far more willing to work with the technology. Wow. Okay. That's real weird. That's some Zemeckis shit. And I'm going to brand that. Well, it's less Zemeckis shit. So the original animation team was very much, I would imagine, traditional animators. And they didn't want to be controlled by the motion capture. And... Like we mentioned previously, the hand and face movements all had to be done manually because in 2001, you really had no way to get that fine control that you need over fingers and face, like any kind of face shape. So you had to do it by hand. And I say hand, um, hand motion capture is the worst. When I was programming for motion capture, we just ignored hands and everything was based off of the location of the arms a la semaphore flag because it was far easier than doing anything at the oh. base of the arm joint. So it's like, well, you've got an arm and based on that arm's location, that's what we're doing because having anything down by the hands was a nightmare because the hands cross over things so much and there's so much occlusion. Mocap. That's <laughs> heinous and ugh. Ugh. That's yeah, how I feel this, about that. Uh, this uh. was a lot. It was total 
141,964 frames. And each frame apparently took an average of 90 minutes to render. These people had a custom render farm. They had a support staff of R&D just for their tools, their hair, their queuing system. They had 40 full-time employees that were creating plugins for Maya. They were creating new motion capture code to make everything run smoother. And they developed, they ended up developing over 100 plugins for Maya, apparently. This is all production notes that we're getting. And the designers were switching between Autodesk Maya, RenderMan, and Power Animator. Now, I doubt that anyone listening to this has heard of Power Animator. It was known as Alias, and it was around from 1990 to 1999. The last stable release was 19 years ago, so it is defunct as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it was also part of the Nintendo 64's SGI-based dev kit, if you want to you know, get a better feel for how dated it is. And its last use was actually Pokemon, the first movie. Ooh. So... Oh, yeah, so Maya wow. is still known, obviously. Okay. Renderman is still used. Um, Power Animator is dead. So they, they had like a special note about how the film's designers worked in dark rooms and the windows were draped in black curtains to prevent any glare. And I was like, yo, bitch, that's normal. Like, they say this, like they're <laughs> keeping the artists in dark caves. And I was like, no. Dude, artists like it dark. They like to be kept in the dark. Unless you're a concept artist. For some reason, I've never met a concept artist that likes working in a dark office. They all want their pretty little spaces. I love them all. Concept artists want windows, plants, wood textured desks, they do and watercolors. No, like reason. the lighters, the compers, the modelers. The modelers had lights on in their room, but anybody that was working with light, comp, paint, roto, uh, the texture guys liked to be in dark rooms. The animators had like a dim room, like a twilight room. They didn't want to be in the pitch black, but they didn't want all the lights on. It, it, it's weird. The FX artists had their lights on too. I don't know why. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is it's pretty uh. common to have a light controlled environment. And if any of the curtains in these rooms slip just a little bit and the light gets in, the artists will freak the actual fuck out. They hate the light. And like any crack of light on a monitor, it's just like, well, I can't work. You're like, tilt your goddamn monitor until I can get some fucking staples, Steven. <laughs> like I'm not calling anybody out. I'm oh, just Steven. that's the name that came to my head. So their custom render farm was almost a thousand workstations, and they were rendering each of this film's frames because none of this none of this movie was done using photographs there was no it was all done using matte paintings there were no photographs used everything was hand done and yeah a shot wow. was built with anywhere from 9 to 498 composite layers i don't know who the fuck thought that was a good idea because it's not and I look at I look at some of the shots from this movie no. and I was like, how many fucking composite layers was this hot garbage? 
Oh, you know the scene where she meets all of the aliens in her dream was like 495 composite layers. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, there was a staff of 200 working on this, and it took four years to complete. Yeah, and we're definitely going to talk about this because I know you talk about this. Um, Obviously, the most intensive part to render was Aki's hair. And this is going to sound familiar to anybody who's, you know, versed in (laughs) Monsters, Inc. talk because Sully's hair took forever to render as well. And Sully thank you, was Disney just... Disney Channel. Yeah, thank you, Pixar and shit. Um, Sully's hair was shorter, though, and it was denser, and you can kind of clump it out. But Aki has 60,000 individual hairs, and they actually wrote in-house a software to create her hair, and it determined how the hair looked and moved. And this was huge. There was no good software. There was no existing software to create long hair. Nothing was adequate for their needs. And to do that is insanity. Like, the only character, and this character came later, the only character I can think of is Violet from Incredibles. And we've mentioned this before. Yeah. But her hair still did not behave like hair. It behaved more like cloth, in my opinion. And I'd love to see how that was done, but I never will. So this film was 15 terabytes of art. Oh, God, in in the 90s? Uh Jeez. That was an expensive... That expense alone had to be a good chunk of their budget. Like, sure, you've got to pay your artists. Oh, yeah. But, man, just to store that? And and you know there are physical drives because they have to have backups. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, God, yeah. So there's like 30 terabytes minimum floating around. How many floppy disks is this film on? (laughs) The film comes shipped to you. It's in like 10 boxes ordered, one out of 1,000. It's like the actual Final Fantasy game where you have to, it's on two disks. Oh, two whole disks. See, I know. Versus infinite floppies. She does know, folks. She knows that one of them had two disks. Yeah, the first one, right? Oh, God. Emily. What? The first Final Fantasy was on the Famicom. It took cartridges. All the right. The first six Final Fantasy games were on cartridge-based systems. Get out of here. I am gone. You're doing the rest of this on your own. Okay, fine. The movie happened. Let's talk about video games now that Emily's gone. Oh, shit. No, I'm back. I'm back. Yeah. I'll save you all. All right, so we've gotten all that boring production shit out of the way under half an hour, shockingly. Let's 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 get into the plot of this movie and how we start off with a logo for Square Pictures that is not a square. Yeah, I I can't argue with you on that. I was going to be like, oh, squectangles, squares and rectangles. You're right. It's not a square. Eat shit. Yeah. Uh. So this movie, I'm about to describe, I want to say the first 12 minutes of this movie, I actively timed it. So get ready, y'all. This is an info dump. I'm buckled up, too. I'm ready. In 2065, Earth is infested by alien life forms known as phantoms. By physical contact, phantoms consume the Gaia spirit of living beings, killing them instantly. The surviving humans live in barrier cities, areas protected by an energy shield that prevents the phantoms from entering and are engaged in an ongoing struggle to free the planet. After being infected by a phantom during one of her experiments, Aki Ross... 
played by Ming Na, and her mentor, Dr. Sid, played by Donald Sutherland, uncover a means of defeating the phantoms by gathering eight spirit signatures that, when joined, can negate the phantoms. Aki is searching for the sixth spirit in the ruins of New York City when she is cornered by phantoms, but is rescued by Gray Edwards, played by Alec Baldwin, and his squad, Deep Eyes, consisting of Ryan Whitaker, Ving Rames, Neil Fleming, played by Steve Buscemi, The Bay, and Jane Proudfoot, played by Perry Giplin. Proud feet. <laughs> so, that was 12 minutes of movie. I hope that you paid attention. No, that was definitely more than 12 minutes of movie. Because we go beyond. Uh, so, she gets rescued and shit. She has her dream. She goes down to Earth. She gets rescued. She meets up with her ex. She goes back talks to her mentor then they have this council meeting then it's revealed that they were just like by the way we can create a, a fucking uh laser beam of spirit hey, energy the zeus cannon is in the next part young lady but we only reveal that she's been infected uh during during an exchange at the zeus cannon meeting Fair. No, she like taps herself when she's hanging out with Dr. Sid. I wasn't oh, fucking no. paying attention. Yeah, too bad. She does. This movie shows everything like four separate times because it knows that you're not paying attention. Yeah, the first time I didn't get it, it wasn't until they were like Zeus cannon. And I was like, okay. Yeah, we. My first opinion of this movie was that it looked like a really good video game cut screen. Sorry, cut scene. But nothing was screaming feature film. And I'm sure, had I seen this in 2001, it would have looked fantastic. But the physics aren't correct. It's stiff, and it's just that slightest bit unnatural to me. That doesn't, it doesn't ever take me into the uncanny valley that people talk about all the time with motion capture, but it does take me out of the experience. And there's also a really shitty camera shake that does that too. I respect that. Watching it did make me think about how only recently in video games have we gotten away from the cutscenes looking like this. Whether they're pre-rendered or rendered in-engine, only recently have we risen above this standard of quality. Like, in the last year, I would like to say, games have come out with cinematics that I'm like, yes, this is beautiful. This is really a quality film that I'm excited to watch right now. Rather than, oh god, let me jam X, this is so poorly animated, ah... And still, even in a Final Fantasy XV, they didn't get the hair as good as Aki's hair is. The hair in Final Fantasy XV is very coarse, and it moves as units. In the movie that they did for Final Fantasy XV, it's gorgeous, but in the actual game, it's not very pretty in comparison to something like this. So, you know, it's it's good for a video game property. Mm, okay. I don't play a lot of video games, folks. It's okay. Yeah. The skin texture is really grainy, though. That was the one thing that kept bothering me while I was watching the movie. I just, like, wanted to touch everyone's face. And I know why. So, the reason for this is because it's hand-painted. So, it is just one surface. There's no... um, I'm trying to think of, like, the fastest way to explain. (sighs) There's no bump map. There's no displacement. It's just like a flat sheet. So all the pores and freckles that you see, they're 
beautifully painted, but it is just, it's like a porcelain doll face. You're not getting any interaction with the light. And a lot of the time, yeah, a lot of nowadays there's, you can digitize that and you can, I mean, there's stock of skin textures and you can make your own bump maps and stuff really easily. But you digitize a real person when you do that kind of mocap now. And I know that, I mean, it's not easy to do, but it's not the hardest thing in the world. And that's a very common process. So in Spirits Within, when you have that flat painted surface texture, there's nothing for the light to interact with in the scene. There's no like subsurface scattering that makes the skin look alive because there's a flat surface. The light isn't bouncing around like reflecting in the surface of the skin to give it that lifelike glow that we see with, Hmm. you know, modern day. And yeah, I would say within the past 10 years, lighting, skin lighting and games and film. That's really interesting because it explains the, this movie has a lot of odd lighting decisions as far as using harsh light on these characters go. And it makes them look significantly faker. And that explains it because the tech, there's nothing going into the textures on the face. They look so flat and mannequin-like if they're not lit very softly. Yes, the soft light does all the favors. And whenever the light is soft, it's usually also really cool, which helps. Like cool color. Yeah. I mean, it looks cool, but it's yes. cool colored, like blue. No, uh, they keep it really blue. The only time that they use warm lighting is when the uh, the phantoms are doing something particularly sinister. They're cool. They're so cool. Mm. The phantoms are predator-esque aliens. They're, uh, they are invisible until they're shot or injured, and then they have this strange translucent effect where you can see the contours of their body and you get their whole shape if they're shot enough. It's very exciting to watch. It is definitely the best part of the movie. Yeah, they are fascinating to look at. I really, really, really like how they're handled. And I also like that we can still breathe on Earth. Yeah, I I don't think the phantoms do anything but steal your life energy, so I guess it's fine. Yeah, I, I just I just think it's funny that like whenever you see post-apocalypse, it's always just like, by the way, we can still breathe on Earth. Everything is good. Woo! Yeah, you gotta just put that out there for everyone to know. Yeah, I just need everybody to know that you can still breathe on Earth. <laughs> um, Deep Eyes, the military squad that's introduced right at the end of this plot summary, has armor that's really similar to the Niflheim armor in Final Fantasy XV and in Final Fantasy XIII, which is super dope to see that design decision get carried through a bunch of games later. Like, those two games didn't come out until the 2010s, and yet you're still seeing the same design tenants held up by the Final Fantasy teams. Yeah, Alec Baldwin is, uh, what's his name? Yes, he is gray. Thank you. Yeah, I was very clearly invested in all of the characters and their character arcs. They only say most of their names once, except for Aki, whose name we hear a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I'm also... I'm not a huge fan of Alec Baldwin as a voice actor in, in anything. Not just this, just in general. And oh, I thought he did all right. I mean, nah, I'm just not a fan. And Steve Buscemi does what he does. He, yeah, you, you can't, he does great. You can't disguise his voice. 
sorry, you can't disguise his voice and you can't disguise Alec Baldwin's voice and you can't disguise James Wood's voice, but we'll get to him later. And it took me forever to figure out who I thought Alec Baldwin looked like. Um, (laughs) I have the note. Why does Alec Baldwin look like the shitty DC universe Batman? Who is that guy? And then immediately I was just all about Donald Sutherland. And yeah, Donald Sutherland is great. Yeah. And I, I do make a comment or five about the hair because even though her hair is very, very well done, it's still kind of like a very solid. It's it's like if you had somebody with normal hair and then put a lot of like really high high hold hairspray in their hair and kind of made like a shell of hair with hair then moving over it. Because there are moments when her hair clips through her own hair and her hair clips through herself and there are times when it doesn't move the way it should. So, I mean, it looks great, but sometimes it does not look the best. In her defense, I think that my hair sometimes clips through myself because you will not believe where I have found hair and at what times. I mean, not the way hers does. You'd be surprised. At any rate, uh, upon returning to her barrier city, Aki joins Sid and appears before the leadership council along with General Hine, James Woods, who is determined to use the powerful Zeus space cannon to destroy the phantoms. Aki is concerned the cannon will damage Earth's Gaia, a spirit representing its ecosystem, and delays the use of it by revealing that she has been infected and the collected spirit signatures are keeping her infection stable, convincing the council that there may be another way to defeat the phantoms. However, this revelation leads leads Hein to incorrectly conclude that she is being controlled by the phantoms. Aki and the Deep Eyes squad succeed in finding the seventh spirit as Aki's infection begins to worsen and she slips into unconsciousness. Her dream reveals to her that the phantoms are the spirits of dead aliens brought to Earth on a fragment of their destroyed planet. Sid uses the seventh spirit to bring Aki's infection back under control, reviving her. So, I don't remember half of this happening uh, because it happens (laughs) in a really bizarre way. It was a lot for me to understand that, like, everything has a soul, sure. Ghosts, okay. Well, this is where I was just like, these are ghosts, because everything has a spirit, and if the spirit's something, something, something. Um, yeah, it, it was just a lot to handle all at once, and then they're just like, we're gonna go find the seventh spirit, and Aki's just like, I'm getting sick. And... In all of this, uh, James Woods has told a couple people to accompany them on this trip and uh, like to keep an eye on Aki and make sure that she's not a traitor. And so there's that. And then they also shoot her, but she's totally fine. Uh, So I guess we've got a lot of non-lethal weapons. And there's there's a bird and there's... uh, This is a great plot summary, and I'm sure that our listeners are getting a lot out of it. Yeah, I mean, the plot summary is fine, but it's also, it's covering alternately a lot, but not enough. Like, it hits all the major points, but, well, yeah. Um, It, no, that is a fairly accurate description of what's wrong with this movie, is it somehow moves insanely slow, and then when you're like, wait, excuse me, please explain this, the movie hand waves it away as a part of the Gaia lore. 
They're just like, yep, it's uh, magic. But not. It is indeed magic. It's not like magic, magic. It's um, spirits. Spirit magic. Yeah. But uh, they there's a line. I forget who says it, but I think it is Steve Buscemi. He's like, we are like Galileo. I was like, oh, boy, that's some hubris. That is some hubris there, my friend. Uh, when Aki goes to Mars, the textures get amazingly what? terrible. Or her dream planet. Okay. She, go, she dreams on an alien planet, and it looks like Mars because it's red. So I just assumed it was Mars. The texture is terrible. Yeah. And yet, I was like, oh, this looks better than Mars Needs Moms because the characters don't make me want to throw up as much. Yeah, uh, that's the failing of Robert Zemeckis being a live-action director trying to direct an animated movie, I think. But yeah, these textures do not look great. The failing of most of them is that they're hand-painted. They're just not properly interacting with the light in the scene. And the... The comp layers here make sense. You can tell that something is a layer on top, that it's not casting a shadow, that it's not in the scene, it's then added in. And there's there's quite a bit of this. Yeah. Uh, when they introduce Hane, it's great because he's wearing this long leather jacket while he's in space court. Yeah. And I had to remind myself that... Oh, he's the villain. He's not just wearing a leather lawyer jacket. It's a leather villain jacket, so we know how evil he is. Right? And, like, his slight underbite must mean that he's evil. And his leather jacket, and he kind of looks like Matt Damon, but it's James Woods. It's the voice of Hades. So whenever Hines speaks, all I can hear is Hades. And there are some lines where it's more obvious than others, but he opens his mouth to say something evil, And I've just got this blue-haired villain in my head, and it's just so unavoidable. And this is the moment, thinking about Matt Damon, that I remembered who I thought um, Grey looks like. And the answer is, it's Ben fucking Affleck. That is a fair point. Alec Baldwin. He does look like Ben Affleck. Alec Baldwin looks like Ben Affleck in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally flex with that. Like, I think whoever uh, I do. was doing the character model looked at a picture of Ben Affleck and went, I'd fuck him. And then... Yeah! Yeah. Uh, I do love the Deep Eyes crew. I think that they're really cute, and their interactions make the movie a little bit better. Mm. <laughs> no opinion. No, no opinion. Uh, again, the lighting choices in the movie are really weird and not great. Yeah. And, and this is just early CG. It's, it's unfortunate. A lot of early CG scenes in, you know, when CG was becoming more and more popular happen in the dark. And if something does not look good, the solution is to put it in the dark because there's less light for something to interact (laughs) with. And it's harder to tell that it looks fake. So in Jurassic Park, a lot of the scenes with the T-Rex, where the T-Rex is CG, it's dark. Or there's something in the way. It's obscured by something. It's either obscured by rain or it is obscured by a lack of light. Until the end. Think about it. 
when you're first introduced yeah. to it. So you're less focused on when it doesn't look perfect. You're more focused on it's a dark, stormy night and you're being terrorized by a T-Rex. That's one example. I would also like to call back to 2001 when Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone was released, I believe. And there's oh, that. Oh, no. Fuck you. I will never let this go. That scene with the fucking centaur and it looks like absolute hot fucking garbage and they set it in the fucking dark in a forest so you don't have to worry about light pretty much at all and they just make it blue because it's a nice cool color of light and it's not going to bounce around a lot so it doesn't have to look good and then i mean rendering shadow fall off can be a bitch but like at this level of production when you had the people that were making this film making this film you don't have to worry about it they had a team that knew how to handle the coding and just they knew how to make it look good. So I wasn't worried about that. When you're coding it yourself, it's hard. And I mean, it's pretty standard now. You don't have to worry about soft shadows when you're rendering out light. But when you're doing it yourself, uh, yeah, in 10 weeks, it's not fun. So shout oh, out no. to these people. Oh, for sure. Jeez. Fuck Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Centaur. Moving on. We can we can move now. To to complain about something different for a brief moment. Somehow nothing it felt like nothing was happening ever in the movie. Like the script does not give it enough gravity. I didn't feel in a rush or that I needed to care. And that made it very hard to pay attention. Yeah, I really don't care about a lot. They didn't build stakes very well right at the beginning. It took a while to establish, like, this is Aki, this is the mission that she's on. But I didn't feel the sense of urgency, and we didn't see a phantom straight murder somebody until very close to the end of the film. Yeah, it, uh... (sighs) Yeah, they, I mean, they tried to make it scary, but they also didn't want to kill off their, their cast that quickly. I think so they they you gotta waited. open with the phantoms destroying the earth before Aki like the phantoms wreck a town fair or something and kill everyone in an instant yeah I want to see some cost I want to see that there you know there are consequences to all of this I want to see carnage baby I also would like to see carnage yes I feel terrible saying that but show me some goddamn alien murder They did a close-up on her eye in one of the scenes, and her eyelashes are so clumpy. They're clumped together at one side of her eye. They went for realism stylistically with this film, and yet her eyes are straight off of an anime character. They tried. They really tried. They tried. They def- yeah, I mean, they definitely tried. And this... Yeah, it was definitely just like a real close-up. You can see that skin texture is hand painted and that there's no light interacting with it the way it should be and i think this was just it was just really really carefully hand animated Ooh, yeah interesting for sure i like it Mm. yeah there was also um this this is where i kind of started to realize what I did not like 
about this movie. And I, I know that sounds awful, but <laughs> it was the faces. So the faces and the hands, the hands were done beautifully. The faces and the mouths, all of that was hand animated because motion capture. But the mouths were really, really throwing me off because the eyes were beautiful and expressive and their eyebrows, you know, they worked really well. But at the same time, their mouths were not moving enough of the face geometry to make it believable. And I think when you have a hand-painted texture like they have with the skin, it makes it a little more complicated because then it won't deform the way you want it to. So I think in this case, pushing the animation would have made the characters more lifelike, but then you'd also ruin the realistic look of everything. Like they're trying to go for this very realistic look without interference, but you're losing the performance of your actors by not pushing the animation in the faces. I fully agree with that. The faces did not move very much, but I feel like it's what saved this from being an Uncanny Valley film, is that the acting choices did happen, and they were subtle. Mm. There was a lot of emotion. There was blinking. It, especially on just especially on Alec Baldwin's face, you could see that they had his eyebrows and his face rigged to move and really express things when he was reacting. I appreciated it. Again, 2001, realism, etc., etc. It was as realistic as they could make it without going full cartoony. Yeah. To me, this never reached Uncanny Valley because it was, you know, 2001. Exactly. I also uh, really liked the way that they shaped Aki. I thought that she was a realistic body shape. She wasn't too slight. She wasn't too cinched waist. She didn't have gigantic boobs. That was one of the few things where I was like, yes, thank you. Someone cared. I mean, if you've ever seen Ming-Na as a person, she's she's tight. <laughs> it's the only way I can think to describe it. She's like a well-coiled... She's like a snake. Like, she is... I like it. She's like... This woman could kill me. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Ming-Na could, I'm into could it. destroy me. Look up a picture I'm of her. Si She's like a kung fu master. I'm looking her up right now. Please do. You're about to have a revelation. I actually want to look at a picture oh, of her. Oh, dang. <laughs> Ming-Na Wen. Yeah, she's, she's great. I love her. Uh, she's actually, like... She could kill you. Yeah, she could. Oh, she went to Carnegie Mellon. Wow. Smart and deadly. Nah, she's... Yo, she's... uh, But she's, she's very petite. She's very intense. And she could kill you. Yes. I'm into it. So... There you go. This movie reminds me a lot of a Ridley Scott movie overall, except for they spend so much time explaining the science, or the science, the magic behind what's happening instead of showing us things or doing things. It's just a lot of, oh, the spirits, oh, the spirits, oh, Gaia. Yeah, it was like science, 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 God, God, spirit, science, aliens. That was it. There was no, it was just like, you'll either pick it up or you won't. And at this point, 
there's a flying dragon creature that was super cool that distracted me from the fact that we are only 35 minutes into an hour 45 minute movie. <laughs> um, my note is, oh shit, JK and Alien just ate that guy's soul. This is once again dope. So yeah, we both had, we were both a bit bored, I would say. Like, we not bored, we just weren't engaged. Not as engaged as we could be, but Nalian ate a guy's soul, and I was there for it. Yes, I mean, I was there for it, too. I went, huh, all right, that's how we're doing that. It brought me back. Yeah. Uh, The movie, this has a ship sequence in which we go to Tulsa? I really want to say it was Tulsa. Uh, And aliens have ravaged the location, and they have to fly away through a giant dragon alien and the ship didn't move in a fun way. It just slid under it and then moved. The camera didn't pan or tilt with it. It was such an unexciting sequence for what could have been a very action-filled, intense scene. And this is because, as far as I'm aware, this is the fault of the motion capture. So, like I said earlier, when you're programming for motion capture, there's always a delay that you have to account for between what your actor is doing when the data is captured and the data you're getting back. So the the movement itself is slow. And when you're using a majority of the motion capture data as your main animation, even with the cleanup, you it's hard to speed it back up. So all of the action is really, really slow, kind of molasses-esque. Yeah, I guess it would be weird to have the spaceship suddenly be this fluid moving object when your characters have to be slow. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's how I feel uh, coming from kind of this programming place. This is the movie's biggest crime, though, being slow and over-explaining everything while still being a very standard science fiction cliché. The opening sequence was so cool and engaging because it was this dream and then she's running around in an abandoned city. But at 47 minutes in, I, of course, looked at the clock again. Uh I felt confident that I could walk away from the film for a while without missing anything. The drink test holds up here, folks. I actually paused the movie kind of around this point and, like, left to go get lunch. Like, I left for an hour and came back to it and felt that I, you know... I I mean, I paused it, but I felt that taking an hour break from it was necessary after the almost under an hour slog that it took to get to this point. And now we start kind of picking up a little bit here, plot wise and action wise, because our villain decides to make some very shitty decisions and doom people. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) So there are actual consequences that happen. People start making decisions to get what they want. And of course, it doesn't end well. To scare the council into giving him clearance to fire the Zeus cannon, Hein lowers part of the barrier shield protecting the city. Though Hein intended only for a few phantoms to enter, his plan goes awry and legions of phantoms invade the entire city. Aki, Sid, and the Deep Eyes crew attempt to reach Aki's spaceship, which is their means of escape. But Ryan, Neil, and Jane are killed by phantoms. Hein escapes and boards the Zeus space station, where he finally receives authorization to fire the cannon. 
Everybody's dead. Uh, everyone is very dead. I have an edgy backstory and I hate the scary aliens and my wife and child are dead. That is Hines' entire characterization. Yeah, and this is where it's just like aliens that are actually ghosts. The invisible things were ghosts all along. Oh my god, I never would have known that these invisible things that seemed like ghosts were actually ghosts. But I will give it this. These fucking things are... It would be terrifying. Like, watching this movie, I was not scared by these things. But if this was real, and this was my life, it would be absolutely terrifying. Because you cannot see these things. They're ghosts. They can pass through physical objects. They can pass through walls. They can pass through floors. They can fly through a ship. They just pass right through everything. And when they connect with you in any way, and no matter what the overlap... You die. They drag your spirit from your body, and that's it. So you would just see people dropping to their deaths, and there's nothing you can do about it. The alien, a giant alien dragon, destroys this entire ship's crew in one second. It's amazing. It's a total party kill. Hane just stands there and is like, nope, I fucked up. And continues on with what he's doing as though he didn't just get, like, 15 people murdered. Well, because emotions are for your protagonists. Get it right. Villains can only be evil. Steve Buscemi is really carrying this movie. He was my point of light as I continued on watching this. Every time he was on screen and said a quip, my heart sang a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. He was pretty great. Um, the aliens. God, I gotta go back to the aliens. I feel like they had this transparency toggle and like a color toggle, but another part of me continues to insist that movies are made only with willpower and actual fucking sorcery. So (laughs) I'd like to imagine that these are just magic and I will never know how they are created. But I also was starting to question what the fuck Final Fantasy was because after this movie, I was even more unclear as to what was happening and what universe that these could possibly exist in. And, like, what... Like, Monsters Ex Machina was just the whole movie. And I was like, okay, where, where are we going with this? What? How does this tie in? What is Final fucking Fantasy? So, minus the Gaia lore. The Gaia lore is totally something that is in the Final Fantasy games and is present throughout. The general mysticism, yes. Okay. The collecting spirits, totally something that would happen in a game. Literally everything else, mm. not relevant to Final Fantasy, not anything like a Final Fantasy game. Mm. What They made this specifically as a standalone because they were worried that the Final Fan- that knowing about the Final Fantasy brand would be too hard to expect film goers to do yet they branded it as final fantasy and gave it a weird subtitle and didn't market it as the beginning of a story or anything so who saw this probably final fantasy fans as evidenced by the fact that the box office was less than half of its production budget we can safely assume that the only people that saw this were disappointed cloud was not in it but who the fuck is cloud He's the blonde one with the big sword. Hold on. Hold on. Oh my god, if you don't know who Cloud is, we can't be friends. Got him. We're good. I looked him up. God. 
doesn't know who Cloud is. He's good. Also, a real note from me watching the movie. Aw, oh, fuck. There's a lot of aliens. No, my favorite character. What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> that was when they killed Steve Buscemi. <laughs> so, my my comment under that, I just was reading your notes while I was watching this, and I was like, oh, man, it's Stevie B, isn't it? Nope, it's the black guy. Nope, Stevie B and Jane. Um, I also hated Aki's shoulder pads because they served no purpose. Like, her costume had shoulder pads that were stupid. But she also has this moment of, why can we see the aliens now? And all I could think was, because it furthers the fucking plot, Aki. Of course, Aki. Aki is great. Everyone else wears full armor, as if that's going to save them from the big scary aliens who can just gently swipe a hand through you and take your entire soul and living essence. Hell yeah. However, everyone else wears full body armor because they're trying to prepare for battle. Aki puts on shoulder pads and is good to go. Her shoulder pads have existed forever, though. Like, they're just attached to her body. Maybe you'll know. What what do the alien ghosts do with the human ghosts? I think they're a source of power. Like food. Mm, Okay. I would imagine the alien ghosts are trying to eat all the human ghosts in a futile attempt to come back to life because they're tormented by the fact that they're dead or half dead, half alive. The film does not bother to explain any of this. They have no interest in what the aliens are up to, other than that later on they're going to impregnate the shit out of Aki. Yeah, what the... But we'll get to that. Holy shit. So, Sid finds the eighth spirit at the crater site of the alien's asteroid impact on Earth. That's how they got here, by the way. He lowers a shielded vehicle with Aki and Gray inside into the cater to locate this final spirit. Just before they can reach it, Hein fires the Zeus cannon into the crater, which destroys the eighth spirit, but also reveals the phantom Gaia. Aki has a vision of the phantom home planet where she's able to receive the eighth spirit from the alien particles in herself. When Aki awakens, she and Grey combine it with the other seven. Hein continues to fire the Zeus cannon despite overheating warnings and unintentionally destroys the cannon and kills himself. Grey sacrifices himself as a medium needed to physically transmit the completed spirit into the alien Gaia, and then the Earth's Gaia is returned to normal because the phantoms then ascend into space, finally at peace. Aki is pulled from the crater, holding Gray's body, and is seen looking into the newly liberated world. What the fuck? I saw... I saw the scene where the alien planet is restored... And I still, hearing you read that made me realize that there were two Gaia spirits this whole time, and one of them was for the alien planet. Mm -hmm. God damn it. God damn it. Uh I I don't think I could pass a written exam on this movie. I think I could. I think I would distinctly fail. I think I could definitely pass a written exam on this, having seen it now. That's good. That's important. Uh, there's a spaceship scene in which Aki and Gray make out because there's hot, sloppy makeouts in this movie. Oh, they're also oh. exes, so they're getting back together. They're getting back together to die immediately, so who cares? It is what it is. Um, 
the ambient light in that scene is very pretty. They bothered to put in the little air floaties and it looks nice. Yeah, it. I mean, it's fine. The cool color of the light and the softness of the light is doing them all the favors. Uh, I, at this point, they're making out and it's beautiful and romantic. I was still not over the fact that James Woods killed everybody. Just did a murder. No remorse. Did, did basically Can- almost a genocide of humans did a genocide and then a suicide yeah but they he didn't mean to commit suicide it was his hubris that ended him it was his hubris and it was his desire to get revenge for the aliens murdering his wife and daughter i don't think the film spent enough time making him sympathetic in that sense no if he had come to the council with that argument of my wife and daughter died i need to protect earth I don't think they, I mean, I don't think at that point they would have given him permission to fire the cannon, but it would have made him a far more sympathetic character. Yeah, when he had the scene of wistfully looking at the photograph of his dead wife and daughter, I genuinely understood where he was coming from and got why he wanted to fire a giant space laser into it. It seemed like the only reasonable option. I want to fire a space laser. (laughs) Uh, oh, oh, the fucking, part- wait, hold on, space laser. They built this giant space cannon, which seems to act also as a space station. And they shot it into space and then decided what to fucking do with it? Yeah, if they already had the space laser when the asteroid uh, landed on Earth, you'd think they would have used the space laser to destroy it so it wouldn't make a big fucking crater on Earth. Do you think it was a post-space crater thing? Like, everyone decided that we needed a space laser in uh, hindsight? I don't know. I didn't make this. That's a good point, though. Who approved the budget and the uh, building of the Zeus cannon only to say that Hain couldn't fire it? Yeah, well, I... I, uh, Once again, I'm unclear. I had no idea what was happening anymore. They maybe saw God or they saw a spirit that was God that is also the Kraken and is slowly overtaking the whole planet. What? Yeah. I thought that was just one of the phantoms. I thought that was the Gaia, the, the phantom Gaia spirit. Was it blue or was it, it red? It was red. Then it's a bad guy. Well, but it was taking, it, it was coming up from the crater. No, it was a bad guy if it was red. That was like the final phantom. Right. It was it that was what it was because they shot the landing jelly when they crashed in the crater, which fucking they have landing jelly. And so <laughs> yeah, science is not explained. I wish they went into it more. But basically so Hein shot the laser cannon into the crater and it made that huge deep crack. And yes. and then it was just like, oh no, there's evil tentacles coming out of it and they have to avoid the evil tentacles and this is um where aki wakes up and they're just like oh no we're all gonna die and we have no way to transmit the spirit wave thing because their ship also gets destroyed and um hold on hold on and then the tentacles come up out of the fucking ground uh because gray puts Aki down, like, the side of a cliff face so that she won't be overtaken by the evil 
tentacle jelly spirit thing. And he then becomes the sole conduit and dies. Yes. None of this is explained very properly. The best part of this movie is Gray is trying very hard to keep himself and Aki alive. Mm -hmm. Aki goes the fuck to sleep because she doesn't know what to do. So she passes out. And then the alien Gaia wraps its weird tentacles around her womb Uh, uh. and, like, bings it. And then she wakes back up. And I had to pause the movie and go... Like, I rewound it because it wasn't direct. Like, her womb didn't light up or anything. It just touched her in that area. Uh, I rewound it to make sure I wasn't being crazy. No, they touched her uterus or whatever. Alien pervert. Yeah, it was gross. I'm sure it's a metaphor. The alien, like, because Aki said something about, like, the ability to create new life or whatever. And, like, I'm sure the alien recognized her capacity as a woman to create new life uh aka make babies by fucking alec baldwin except then alec baldwin dies who cares he does 100 percent. i would be fucking horrified oh and he was like a sperm because he he was like a sperm because he carried the information into the kraken thus impregnating it with the good spirit uh alec <laughs> alec baldwin sorry aki's like it's inside me and uh, <laughs> alec baldwin just goes how do you know aki and i was like because in a dream a scary alien impregnated me with its spirit like i would just straight up throw myself off that fucking cliff a 100 percent. there's no point in continuing yeah, to live no, at I, that I point this sequence definitely has some ADR explanations added in, and I don't know if they audience tested this movie or if someone watched it and had to stop them and ask, what the fuck happened in the last 10 minutes of this, you guys? I don't know. Probably all of so that. So Aki, do- Aki does a voiceover that is very clearly the writers trying to explain what just happened on screen. Um, I couldn't tell you where this voiceover happened because I was too busy trying to remember what the fuck was going on. And then Alec Baldwin died. The spirits as conduits is the one thing they didn't over explain. And it's the one thing that was key to the fucking ending. Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, who cares? Because it's poetic enough that no one will ever give a fuck because personal sacrifice. Also, she like talks sometimes and her lips move. But she's not, there's no sound that comes out. Like, there's no dialogue. So, like, when she and Alec Baldwin are getting brought back up and she's holding his body, she it looks like she says something to him. It looks like she whispers something to the body, but there's no sound. I definitely think that was the victim of them recutting this final scene to make more sense. You know, that. but it happens more than once, though. In the film. Yeah, that's what shows me that they recut this at the last minute and took shit out because it made it make less sense. Hmm. And added in her saying something that kind of explained what was happening. And yet she didn't have the courtesy to explain the spirit as conduit thing. So Aki kills all of the ghosts, even the nice ones. Who... I said, I have questions for Al and Jeff. 
Maybe they wrote the script. Oh, yep, they wrote the script. So the the yeah. two script writers are named Al and Jeff. I don't have their last names, but I I made a note that I had questions for them. Also, the first ending song is like 100% early 2000s end of movie song. And I watched through all the credits. It really I watched is. through all of the credits. Oh, I did really like the soundtrack because they made an effort to use the female vocalist and big orchestral style of Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it for the whole thing, so it wasn't too crazy. The score in the middle is lacking, but for the beginning and the closing, they did the Final Fantasy thing of the orchestral with the woman very mournfully and beautifully singing a song, and I appreciated it. It was a nice nod to the series. And then, after that song is over, they bring in fucking Lay Arkansas. Yeah, we can't all be perfect, Emily. It started playing, and, like, I was, I made it, I started a note as about how small the crew was. Like, it says 200 people, but as you're watching through the credits, it does not seem like that many people. I, and I start, shockingly small crew. Is this fucking Seal? It fucking is. <laughs> and, you know, I was going through, I saw, I had to pause. I, I think it took me more time to watch through the credits than it took me to process any plot thing about this movie because I started seeing names that I recognized and I went back, I I went on LinkedIn and I was like, I need to clarify this because maybe there's more than one. So I'm going through and I was like, yo, it's my boy. And I, I was just so excited. I was seeing all these people that I knew and they have the really old Maya logo at the end of the credits and E film which is over in Hollywood, did something. I want to say, like, the coloring or the final. It doesn't matter. Um, there's a place that got a special thanks that I ended up looking up because it's called Imari Takeout. And I went, is what? that a restaurant? So I looked it up, and it. I don't know if it's still in business, but it definitely is a restaurant that was very close to the studio. And... this is gonna be a very niche joke for everybody that worked on guardians of the galaxy 2 with me um but it must have been like the mendocino farms of this production and i say that to, to you know give some backstory to this joke um so hold on i have the hiccups now disgusting sorry to give some backstory to the mendocino farms joke we on guardians of the galaxy when we were working Saturdays, we would get lunch catered so that we didn't have to leave the studio for any period of time and they could just kind of keep us all clocked in forever because it's visual effects. And towards the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, lunch was always Mendocino Farms sandwiches and sometimes there would be salad. And it was to the point where everybody started joking that Mendocino Farms was an unofficial sponsor of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and that they would get screen credit because they fed us so much food. (laughs) So for Imari Takeout to get that special thanks, I really think that they just were there so frequently that they were just like, we have to give this place a shout out for feeding us. We absolutely have to. That's beautiful. I know. I love it. Yeah, so... God, sorry. So... You're good. Mendocino Farms. Ranking. Ranking time. Uh, This movie is better than Izzy's Way Home. 
But wisdom tooth surgery is better than Izzy's Way Home, so who really cares? I would say that death is better than Izzy's Way Home. So, yeah, this, uh, right now, number one, um, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Uh, number, Congratulations. number two, Izzy's Way Home. Actually, Great. you know what? Good. Number negative infinity, Izzy's Way Home. Number I is Izzy's Way Home, just so that way it can't rank as a number. Yeah, it doesn't deserve a number. <laughs> it's imaginary. It doesn't exist. No one needs to watch Izzy's Way okay, Home. Okay, here, this is going to sound terrible. I want so badly to work on an Asylum animated film so that I can be like, guys, what are we doing? Like, maybe we should no. not. Maybe we can make this better, no. you know? Good luck. That is a dream that I hope to never have to accomplish with yeah, you. No, come on. If I work on one, will you watch it? Of course I okay. will. I will watch anything that has your name in the credits. I hate all the Marvel movies, but of course I'm going to go see them because your name was in the credits. I don't have to anymore, and I'm very grateful for uh, that. It was only in the credits of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, so you really didn't need to see any of the others. God fucking damn it, Emily. I sat through all of Infinity War for nothing. Yeah. It's not worth very much. Unlike our sponsor, our own very personal service from us to you, Rideshare, in which we share a ride with you. Call us anytime, any place that happens to be convenient, and we will come in a car with you and be your personal ridesharers. We'll play our music over the aux. You might not like it, but you'll have to deal with it. We'll tell you fun facts about the places we pass and about the local landmarks you may or may not know. We'll tell you long, rambling stories about our lives and children and grandchildren and trap you in a conversation while we're in a car for 40 minutes. Because this is what you wanted, right? You worked until 10 p.m. and now you have to get in a car with a stranger and they're going to ask you a bunch of questions about your day while you're just trying to get home. And you really should have taken public transit because at least nobody talks to you there and you can just listen to a podcast. But no, you had to share a ride with a stranger because it was more convenient and you're paying more for this and yet you're stuck in a socially awkward situation. And you're equally with us, as likely it, to get murdered. True. Very true, in fact. With us, you're not as likely to get murdered. Our murder rate is significantly lower than that of your average rideshare driver. <laughs> we talk about things that you might want to listen to based on the fact that you've listened to this podcast thus yeah, far. Yeah, what are you doing? And we smell good. Uh, yeah. So if you'd like to support our podcast, please... Support us via a rideshare. Rideshare is only available in Washington, D.C. metro area and the Los Angeles area, depending on our work schedules and also depending on whether or not we actually want to get in a car with you. You're subject to a background screening along with whether or not we want to spend any time with you. Thank you.